0: Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia. Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf. Very pleased to bring in, from Football Morning in America, NBC Sports, Peter King. Welcome, Peter. Great to have you back.
1: Steve, how you doing?
0: Doing great. How about you?
1: Everything is going fine, thank you. Good. Uh, Good good to be out in Arizona and covering the game and uh, getting ready for it.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so let's start with this. The ride along this year was with Nick Siriani. When did you come up with this idea a few years ago to do this?
1: Geez. I don't remember. I know that the first time I did it, I did it with Doug Peterson five years ago. And I knew Doug pretty well. And... I just wanted to do something that was really a little bit different. And so, Steve, as you probably know, in the media today, what happens, honestly, is that these guys are getting hit from everywhere at all sides. they They've got to say no to a lot of people, unfortunately, uh, you know, in the media because they just don't have time. Right. And so I just thought, what better way than to essentially say to them, "Hey, listen, I'll ride in the car with you. You have to ride to work anyway, and by the time you get to work, I'll get out of the car. You'll get into the car, or you'll get you'll uh, you know get out of the car and go into your office, and that's it. It's over." Your responsibilities are over. And so, you know, I just thought it was the easiest thing, and it did turn out to be very easy. And I, although, you know, it isn't altogether easy all the time to find somebody to do it, I think now, like when I first asked Sirianni a couple of weeks ago, he said, oh, yeah, I saw you did that with Doug Peterson. So, I mean, now I think some guys actually have seen it and are used to it, so it's not like a shocker
0: to them. A guy like Andy Reid you've talked to a number of times, so you have built a rapport with him along the way as reporter and coach. Nick Sirianni's a relatively young coach, so you probably don't know as much about him. So what did you learn on this ride-in that maybe you didn't know before?
1: Steve, I, one of the things... This is one of the best things I've ever learned on one of these ride-alongs. That, Because I always try to talk to them about the people in their lives who are important to them, um, you know, basically who are important to them in uh, getting them to where they are. And the two biggest influences in his life are a small-town high school football coach in far western New York, his dad. Yep. The other one is his college coach at Mount Union of Ohio which mm-hmm. is a division three power and you know he must have talked about Larry Karras for 10 minutes he just mm-hmm. you know all the all the lessons he's learned from him and so I just got this thought Steve that that I think real football coaches and real football people would truly appreciate, and that is that, I mean, when you think about it, think of all the great coaches who didn't go to Alabama or start their career at Clemson or, you know, get a huge boost early in their career at Penn State. You know, I mean, Nick Sirianni goes to college at Mount Union You know, his first job is at a position coach at Mount Union. And then he goes all the way up to Indiana University of Pennsylvania. And so, I mean, you know, this is a guy who really learned the absolute basics of football, who's going to be coaching in the Super Bowl on Sunday, who really didn't hit the big time until like 12 years ago in terms of, you know, a job that you would think, okay, now you're really kind of on the trail you're on the road to being a big time coach and just think of how many people if they read this would think that wow if Nick Sirianni can do it I can do it
0: When uh, part of what was interesting about that was the ability of his coach at Mount Union and they have won a billion national championships uh, yep. as, as anybody who follows the sport knows are just dominant beyond words but he, he told them, players, players, players. Yeah. And it's amazing how he went from, I want to show everybody how smart I am, to actually being smart because it was about players, players, players.
1: Hey, you know, the greatest part of that was, really, that, uh, you know, when Larry Karras, who, you know, remained a great influence of Siriannis even after, you know, they worked together anymore, Larry Karras went to see Nick Sirianni when he was the offensive coordinator at Indianapolis, and he goes, let me see your play sheet. Where's the plays for number 13? (laughs) And that's T.Y. Hilton, and that was far and away their best offensive weapon a couple or three years ago when he went to see him. And so I think that was a great lesson that Nick Sirianni learned and why I think, you know, getting AJ Brown to pair with DeVonte Smith, you know, and uh, and Miles Sanders has been a godsend for the Philadelphia Eagles and for a coach who wants to make sure that you always try to put the ball in the hands of these immensely talented players.
0: All right, no question. You also wrote in the column this week about the officiating part of it and the ability to take care of simple first and I know Roger Goodell addressed officiating today because obviously asked about it especially after the uh, championship games what's been your thought in talking to to people along the way about officiating within the league which obviously the greatest these great athletes are playing it at such a fast pace
1: I think it's only a matter of time before the NFL goes to full time officiating Yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily going to make officiating significantly better. It might be marginally better, but, you know, to me, full-time officiating, everybody, you know, is desperate for that. Uh, And it certainly won't make officiating worse, but it's not a magic pill. And officiating is just too hard to think that by uh, making one or two Quick changes that, that that's really going to fix everything with officiating. So I think full-time officiating is coming, I don't know, two, three years down the road. But I'm not sure that they're going to adapt the Sky Judge, which I think, uh, as I wrote this week in my column, <clears throat> you know, there are right now two outside influences. The New York Officiating Command Center and the replay official upstairs in the press box at every NFL game who have a direct line into the ear of the referee. And it's the exact same thing uh, that the Sky Judge would have. A line into the ear of the referee. The only difference is that the Sky Judge would have the ability literally to throw a flag. (laughs) And, you know, so... But I think that it's just the duplication of duties and so yeah. i think you will see full-time officials but i don't really think uh... the sky judge is really going to get a lot of uh... a lot of consideration
0: uh... i'll preface this question about tom brady this way a f- years ago uh, billy packer who just passed away he and i were speakers at a dinner i'll let you guess peter which one went last and, <laughs> so, <laughs> and we, were, we were chit-chatting just about the business, and we were talking about interviews, and he said, you know, Steve, what I like to do is I like to think about a question that somebody has not been asked before. Yeah. I mean, Brady's been at this 23 years. Can you think of any question that you can possibly ask him that he has not been asked before?
1: I can't. I mean... If you gave me an hour, I might be able to do it. But, you know, the the thing, and especially with Brady, you know, who I've talked to a lot in my life, um, the thing with Brady is that you're much better with Brady being very granular. Asking him, tell me exactly why you picked uh, Julian Edelman on this third and sixteen play, because Edelman said he was the third option, so why did you go to Edelman on this play and right. then Brady will be like Tiger Woods talking about his approach shot uh, on on the eighth hole in Augusta. You know he will give you some great detail and really talk about the inner game of football um and that's when he's best he's best when he's in his comfort zone of talking about the details of football. He's also very good. Like I once said to him, this was in twenty seventeen after the Atlanta Super Bowl <clears throat> and you know he was telling me about his plans for the off season and what he was going to do and and you know, a lot of it was, you know, the care and feeding and conditioning of Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, you know, don't you ever really want to go out and have nine beers with your friends, you yeah. know, and just get just get drunk one night? Wouldn't that be fun? He goes, <laughs> I've done it before, and this, believe me, you know, playing in games like this is a lot more fun, at least yeah. for me. And so I think, you know, lifestyle questions, physical questions, all that stuff is good, Probably not going to get him to talk very much about. Hey, so what's your relationship with Bill Belichick really like? You know, Um, so it's one of those things that you just have to kind of be smart and think about it. And um, but he, you know, he's pleasant enough. He just isn't the most revealing guy most of the time.
0: I mean, normally I'll I'll admit to everybody my standard when doing, for example, a pregame show with a coach. You know especially a football coach where they've done a press conference, they did a quarterback club, they did the talk show with the fans, things like that. I try to think of a question they haven't been asked that week. Right? Yeah. To be honest with you, uh, and that's usually the standard I'll have. What weren't they asked this week? And then I'll lead off with yeah. that. Uh, that's fantastic, though. No, and it, well, I'll get like for example in the Rose Bowl, I asked James Franklin first question. What's the responsibility everybody needs to take on Cover Zero, and that they need to recognize it, and what kind of breakdown happens if one guy misses it? That was the opening question.
1: That's good. I like that. Well,
0: now that's because that's because Utah played a lot of Cover Zero, so
1: yeah, uh, that's
0: good. So, one final question, and I'll let you go. As I know, you're doing a thousand of these, and I appreciate the fact that you included us. Uh, the Hall of Fame vote. When you sit down and you start running through, and, of course, it's a long process, right? What are your personal standards when you're looking at a Hall of Fame vote? And, you know, because obviously it's going to be revealed and you're not supposed to reveal your vote till later. So what are your standards?
1: All right, Steve. So here's the way I sort of look at the Hall of Fame right now and the way I look at how we should consider Hall of Famers Paul Zimmerman, who the late Paul Zimmerman, who was kind yep. of my mentor at Sports Illustrated, yep. always used to ask us, everybody in the room, like if somebody would be reeling off stats, he would say, Jesus, can we please talk about the guy as a player, not you know, his statistics which everybody can look up? What did mm-hmm. you think of him as a player? What made him good? What made him hard to defend if he was a receiver? You know, what made him hard to beat if he was a corner or whatever, you know. And what I always really, really valued um, about, you know, the jobs that we all have is that, look, you know, like, for instance, a big person this year was Zach Thomas. Mm-hmm. And so we already had our meeting, and I know who made it and I know who didn't. I don't mean to, to be a jerk about this, but obviously we're sworn to no. secrecy. No, no, no. So, that's why, yeah, I prefaced,
0: so, that's but, why I prefaced that's why I preface it the way I did. You're not supposed yeah.
1: to yeah so so basically, you know i <clears throat> when considering guys like Zach Thomas, you know, I think back to two things: I think back to games I covered that he played in, number one and number number two, I think back to people who coached him and what they said to me over the years about him. Mm -hmm. And I can just tell you, Jimmy Johnson valued Zach Thomas the way he valued Michael Irvin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because obviously, you know, Jimmy had a real thing. You know, when he got to Miami, he had a real thing for the kind of player that Zach Thomas was. Ended up cutting Jack Del Rio because he had Zach Thomas uh, and all that. But, but anyway, I try to think of those things. And then I always try to think of, okay, what did I think when I watched him play? And then, obviously, you factor in the the stats and everything. And look, I am not the same as the other 48 voters. And you know what? They are not – every single one of them will think differently about players. Like, for instance, of all the wide receivers, I think Andre Johnson is head and shoulders above – Uh, Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt. They're Mm the finalists this year. And I even think Heinz Ward is is right up there with with all of them because he's the greatest blocking wide receiver of his era. And so I think about things like that and I try to have an open mind but I want to have Steve a strong opinion when I walk into the meeting. I want to feel strongly about the guys who I like and the guys who I have some questions about. But I don't want to be intractable. I want to be able for somebody to convince me that maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm being a little bit too hard on this guy, or maybe I like a certain guy a little bit much. You know, like, for instance, I love Devin Hester, and I love his his case. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of people who think, well, he didn't play that many snaps. Because he was a returner, does a guy like that belong in the Hall of Fame? And so, there are those kind of things that you have to consider. It's really kind of a it's a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, and it's really it's kind of fun to be involved. I, I've really enjoyed it over the years.
0: And again, everybody has the different opinions. I'll, I'll give everybody one quick example, and and I know I've cited to the, you, this to you before when when Ira Miller had a, a vote. He came into the booth one day because he wanted to talk to Jack Ham about Ray Guy and whether he should be a Hall of Famer. And then Iris said, "He says I know. He says, but and he says like Peter points out, he was referring to you. He says about Gerald Wilson. You know, and and I'm just sitting there as a fly in the wall. I'm not going to sit here and interrupt that conversation. But it was just interesting. Everybody has their own take on what they saw and what they, you know, and what they went through.
1: I always had this feeling that poor Gerald Wilson, if you looked up both those guys on Pro Football Reference and you compared their careers down to all the awards and honors they won, you would be really hard-pressed to pick Ray Guy over Gerald Wilson. It wouldn't be terrible, but they're almost like a coin flip. And I've never heard one person make any sort of case for Gerald Wilson for the Hall of Fame. That's why I... I, you know, I, you know, a lot of times emotions get involved, and opinions of people like John Madden get involved, yeah, you know, who's very, very widely respected. So, you know, you, I just try to do the job and try to be as honorable about it as I can.
0: And you do, always have. Thank you so much for the time today. Appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week because I know it's going to be filled with a lot of work, but also you will find a way to enjoy it.
1: Steve, really appreciate it. Always love being on with you.
0: Thanks. Peter King.